You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Yes, the perfect lead into the show. Off and running people on this Saturday, May 7th, just when you said to yourself, hey, whatever happened to What's-His-Face? What's-His-Face has returned, yes, after a couple of weeks off. Once again, the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 FM ESPN New York. We are locked. We are, oh my goodness, jam-packed for a Saturday afternoon. We got so much, too much to get into, so let's dive right in. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. You can find me on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. You can find me on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. You can find me on TikTok, at Old Man Radio, and you can find me right here on your radio until 6.30, Rangers and Penguins pregame then. But even maybe more important than all of that, you can now find me on the new and greatly improved ESPN New York app. So do yourself a favor. Download that onto your phone, your iPad, whatever you got, and make sure you get the new ESPN New York app. It is, as everyone's been saying, absolutely Sensational, but we got a lot to get into. We got it. I, I, I've not been on since the draft. It's been a week since the draft, and it feels like it's been even longer than that because there's just so much to go through and so many thoughts that I want to get into with the Jets, the Giants, and and all that. We got the NBA playoffs going on. It's Derby Day, so at some point in the course of this show, now I know Anita really broke down very scientifically all the horses' reasons for why she likes this one. I'm not quite that scientific. We will come up with our own system for finding what we will be betting real money on during the Derby over the course of the next three hours. But it is a Saturday. And more important than all that stuff, Derby Day, baseball stuff, NFL stuff, you know, if you're a listener to this show on a regular basis, and the show's not really on on a regular basis, but if you are, you know Saturday, 5 o'clock. That means it is time for what I learned this week on TikTok. It is a new segment we've been doing now for about a month. What I do, very simple format. I'll give you four facts. Three of them are completely made up. But one of them is something that, I, that is true and that I learned on TikTok this week. And I will say this. I'm not somebody to brag about myself. I'm, I'm very self-deprecating. I'm very... You know, low-key, under the radar. I'm an outsider. I'm never going to be the... I have learned in my life I'm never going to be in the clique. I'm never going to be, you know, the most popular guy going on. I'm an outsider. But I will say this. What I have stumbled upon with this new segment, what I learned on TikTok, I will say this. And Brian, you back me up on that. You tell me if I'm wrong, I'm right, whatever you want to do. I think what I learned on TikTok is the most fun segment any show on this station does. Hot take, but I love it. Now, would you agree with that? Ooh, I think I might. We got Aaron Boone. We got, you know, Answers we got all the different Aaron. segments. We got ENN. ENN. We got Stump Rothenberg. Oh, we got yeah. all the different segments that, that, that Rick and Dave morning, do in the mornings. The, mor- the morning, morning roast, roast which right? I really love, by the they, way. They, they do a great job. Hmm. But I think what I learned on TikTok is by far the most fun segment anyone will do because look you will learn something if you stay with us until five o'clock today you will learn something and brian we're going to put you in the hot chair because you're all by yourself today oh yeah now we might take some callers in because i've i've come up with a more extensive list i've done more research this week than any other but you're going to be in the hot seat and you will learn something mind boggling facts unbelievable and it's the type of segment that sticks with you you will have learned something and it won't be just fleeting, oh, what was that thing again? I don't remember. No, this, this will be burned into your mind. So stay tuned, 5 o'clock. We will do what I learned on TikTok. And even Brian admits most fun segment. I think he admitted. I'm not sure. But I'm, going, I'm taking that as a win. All right, so it's been two weeks since I've been on on a Saturday. And when I was last on, oh, my gosh. It, it feels longer ago. But there was a major issue going on at that time. And, and you might have forgotten about it now because with the news cycle being what it is, sometimes things come and, it, and, when, and when they hit, it seems like the biggest thing in the world. And then like a couple of weeks later, you've even forgotten what this big thing, and, and it's constantly going on, right? There's one thing one day, the next day another thing. 
But two weeks ago, there was a major outbreak of Yankee derangement syndrome. It was an epidemic. It was everywhere. And the signs, Yankees were doomed. The offense was cursed. The offseason was a failure. The team is destined to fail. It's doomed to fail. Garrett Cole, complete failure. He's not worth the money. He's not any good. He's a product of the sticky stuff. Cashman's an idiot. Boone, get him out of here. The whole thing, even in like just a couple of weeks of a baseball season, it was clear. It was, deter- it was already established as fact. The Yankee season was going off the rails. But just as quickly, apparently, as Yankee derangement syndrome has come and had this massive outbreak, I mean, it impacted everybody. It was, it was like um, Night of the Living Dead. It's gone. <laughs> right out the window. And the cure, as it turns out, was an 11-game winning streak. Just that fast. Just that quickly. It came in two weeks into the season, the, the baseball season. As I say every year, people every single season forget how long a baseball season is. And all of a sudden, just as quickly as it came, it is now gone. And it really shouldn't be that. What the Yankees have done and where the Yankees are at this point, not so much maybe the, the best record in baseball aspect of it, but sitting with a very good record, playing very good baseball, that should not be a surprise to anyone. This has been the pattern every single year, with the exception of the 60-game season. That was a really weird year. But if you throw that one out, every single year that Aaron Boone has been the Yankee manager, it has followed the same path in the first month or so of the season. It is, Yankees start slow, they have a couple of losses that seem like, oh my gosh, how could that ever happen? There's panic that sweeps the land. And then they pick it up. They pick it up. They start playing to the level that you would expect the Yankees to play. Last year, just last year, you would think that this year, the way they started was like, they've never seen this before. They lost two or three to the Orioles. Oh my God, they lost a game to the Tigers. Ugh. Last year, the Yankees started 9-13. and 13. After that, they won 7-8, of 11-13, of 13, something along those lines. Picked it right up. Picked it up. Now, they only won 90-something games last year. But still, the season was not, in fact, the season was not doomed two weeks into the season. 2019, they started 8-10. Um, and 10. Again, below 500. Won nine of ten at that point. And then 2018, uh, they started, I think, nine and nine or eight and eight, something along that. Won nine in a row. So it really should not be a surprise that all of a sudden, like that, the Yankees have picked things up because that's what happens every single year. Now, does that mean that they're going to win only 90 games like they did last year or win 100 or 103 like the other seasons? I don't know. We're going to kind of see that as it plays out. But right now, it's safe to say... Even two weeks ago, the Yankee season was not doomed, and it's kind of played out that way. And you'd have to say, if you're looking forward, and, and, and what will this season be more like? Will it be more like last year where they only won the 90 games and were you know, essentially a disappointment? Or will it be more like the 100 and 103 win teams that they had with Aaron Boone? I think you'd have to say it's probably more like the, the 100, 103 win seasons because last year, if you take – and again – This stuff is available to everybody that wants it. It's on the internet. You can find it. You can just Google it. Last year, they had an even worse lineup at this point last year than anyone would have predicted even this. Like, this past offseason was a very lackluster offseason. But go back and look at who the Yankees had in their lineup at this point last year. They were very much a work in progress. At this point last year, they were still giving Mike Ford regular at-bats. Gary Sanchez was regularly the cleanup hitter. Brett Gardner was playing on a regular basis. The first two weeks of the season, Jay Bruce was batting in the lineup on a regular basis. So it's not really a surprise. You shouldn't be doom and gloom. And think about all the time that has been spent already this year on Garrett Cole. After three starts, three starts, doom and gloom. So despite what some would have had you believe, 
Garrett Cole actually has not been eliminated from the Cy Young Award yet this season. Now, not yet. Maybe another bad start or two. Maybe. But you already saw, oh, it's clear this guy's not the guy the Yankees pay for. Going into his next start, whenever that will be, if it ever stops raining, he will have an ERA of three. It's, he's not pitched to maybe the, the level you are expecting for a guy making all that money. But the starts he's already made are probably the most meaningless starts that he's had. Like, as the season goes along, the, his starts will be, I would think, right, more significant. If you're, if you're a team that is expected to have the goals the Yankees are having this year of playoff team, winning playoff series, winning a World Series, each start kind of, maybe not exclusively, but each start kind of grows in importance as you get later on in the season. So if he's going to have any rough start, hey, get him out of the way early. Again, 2019, he should have probably been the Cy Young that season. He had an ERA over four at this point of the season and had allowed eight home runs and eight starts. So every year, people forget how long a baseball season is. But you would think that maybe this year, I don't know, I'm hoping that this year it can finally be like our salvation. Like you've gone through this rough stretch and we've gone through a pretty rough stretch of, of sports teams between the, the Knicks season being what it was, being uh, the football season being what it was. Not the Rangers, obviously, because they're, they're still going. But we've had a, a lot of rough times here. Mets last season completely falling on their face down the stretch of the season. Yankees not living up to anywhere close to what the expectations were. You would think that now that we've gotten to this point of the season, Mets are flying high. Yankees are flying high. The NFL draft, oh my God, I, what day do we induct all the guys that the Jets and Giants drafted into the Hall of Fame? I mean, that's the only thing that's left. You would think that people would now have a sense of optimism. Hopefully that's going to be the case. Hopefully that's going to be the case, at least with the Yankees, because at this point, this is kind of what you expected the Yankees to be. Maybe not best record in baseball, maybe not best team in the American League. But yeah, this is the kind of team that you were hoping for, and it really should not be a surprise to anyone. It is the Gordon Damer Show, taking you up until 6.30. Rangers, Penguins, Game 3. And look, I'm not, I'm not going to dive deep into the Rangers. Now, look, if you want to, you're fired up for the game tonight, critical Game 3, by all means, 1-800-919-ESPN. But I'm not the dive deep guy because mainly I have a shot glass amount of knowledge about the Rangers. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that ignores them completely during the regular season, and then postseason time, I'm locked in. Although, that, that triple overtime, at some point, doesn't it become too much? I don't know how you guys do this. Like, I find that when they first overtime, I'm completely focused. Second overtime, eh, like, I can't keep my attention on something that long that requires my attention at every single second. It just doesn't happen. And then by the third overtime, when these things happen, I just know that I'm going to end up missing the game ending because I'm distracted by something. I only have so much of, a, of an attention span to focus on it. But um, here's my thought on it. And, and people can tell me if I'm wrong. I probably am. Shouldn't the Rangers win the series easily now? Like you're facing the third string goaltender in multiple games. You're the higher. I know that the betting wise, people kind of expect the, the Penguins to be like a live underdog, but you're the higher seed. You got the home ice. Shesterkin's going to win the Vesna, right? They're, like, there's no category, I don't think, that would have a greater discrepancy than the goaltending in the series. If they have the third string goaltender and you have this season's best goaltender, shouldn't you win the series? pretty easily. And I don't know that the third string guy is going to start every single game the rest of the way, but he'll now have started two of the three games. Seems like a pretty, a pretty good way to go. Pretty easy. Like if I gave you that in any other circumstances, you weren't take the Rangers out of it, your fandom out of it. I would think that that would be a, a pretty significant edge to have in what was by all accounts, a fairly close series coming in. Rangers are uh, they're not the favored team, but they have the home ice. And, and a lot of people, you know, respect the Penguins because of their past championship. Just seem it seemed to be that way. Uh, all right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. So I mentioned the conspiracy theory before we get to the phones. Promise, I'm going to the phones here in a minute. Already so far this year in baseball, baseball has had a problem with the umpires, right? Like on a nightly basis, if you're on Twitter or if you're watching highlights, on a nightly basis – you see egregiously bad calls by home plate umpires, if, if not other places as well. 
Now with the strike zone on the screen, it makes it clear, and, and if you're a baseball fan, you know this, right? Like how much of a game is impacted by, maybe an at-bat can be impacted by a single pitch, right? A 1-1 count, big pitch. Big difference between 2-1 and 1-2. One and one and change innings, change games. And the reaction to bad calls, on a nightly basis, umpires are ejecting players in baseball. You don't see this in any other sport. Like, on a nightly basis, is a hockey player getting, on a nightly basis, not just once in a while, I mean on a nightly basis, ejected because of something said, an argument between official and player. Football never happens. Basketball very rarely happens. And when you see how wrong these calls are, like generally when a player is complaining about balls and strikes, I'm not going to say it's 100% of the time. Nothing's 100% of the time. But generally, the players are right. So my conspiracy theory is this. And tell me if you agree. I think baseball wants to highlight just how bad umpires are at calling balls and strikes to offset how unpopular robo-umps are going to be whenever they are officially rolled out, whenever the, the technology is there to, to use. Because baseball fans are generally, you know, old school. They, they don't like, you know, new things. Robo, I've heard plenty of baseball fans say, oh, if they go to robo-umps, I'm out. But already this year, think of all the different situations that could have been alleviated by having a set strike zone so players can't argue with the ump, right? Like the ump is just there to tell you what the call was based on the strike zone that is there. It's not them making a judgment call. It's a computer, so don't, don't yell at me. But already this year, you had the, the Angel Hernandez-Kyle Schwarber thing. You had the Aaron Boone thing the other day. Uh, the Madison Bumgarner-Dan Bellino. Now, it wasn't balls and strikes, but still, I mean, it, there's, there's on a nightly basis. Baseball's the only sport where you see stars of the game getting thrown out of the managers, players every single day. And the way that they judge, and I didn't know this until this week, but the, the, the um, assessment of umpires, baseball gives umpires two inches on either side of the plate to, uh, on their effectiveness. So if they are calling a strike, if they're calling a ball a strike, but it's only two inches off the plate, they still get that considered a correct call. I think that they I think that baseball wants it to be look how bad these umpires is because like if you come out with robo umps and people are oh my god I hate these robo umps uh would you rather have Angel Hernandez behind the plate would you rather have Marty Foster the other night behind the plate would you I mean I don't know I'm not a conspiracy guy by nature but I think baseball's up to something and I think it's effective because when you watch these games Night in and night out. And I'm not saying that they're swinging it one way or the other, but now with gambling, I mean, it does make you wonder how Madison Bumgarner is getting thrown out in the first inning of the game when he hasn't done anything yet. Very odd. Very strange. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. All right, let's get some phone calls in. Sam is in Jersey. Sam, you're first up on the Gordon Damer Show. Hey, can you hear me? I can, Sam. Awesome. Great to talk to you, Gordon. Uh, First-time caller. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess a couple points now, um, you know, one with a lot of thoughts going through my head about the officiating in baseball. I'm no, I'm no longer a baseball guy. I kind of phased out, um, cause I got more into the Knicks and the Jets and, uh, and their respective wow. sports. Wow. That, that, but, Sam, uh, that was a bad decision on your part. That, <laughs> is, isn't that saying a lot? Yeah. yeah I'm sick of this stuff. But, uh, I'm going to pick up the Knicks and Jets now. <laughs> yeah, but but now that the, I I keep I, I listen to ESPN radio often, so I hear about the Yankees and the Yankees are doing well. And now you're talking about uh, these uh, these umpires and stuff like that. It's like, oh man, how many how many different things is baseball going to do to to completely destroy viewership? I mean, it's it's kind of sad in a lot of ways. But I mean, baseball is always going to have its fans. Uh, if the Yankees are doing well, maybe I'll watch from time to time. But uh, but really, I just wanted to uh, talk about New York fandom a lot because you were you were talking you were, you were saying a lot of good things in my opinion um, about that because you know the Jets and the Giants just had had good drafts. Uh, fans were freaking out. You still have some Jets fans, some Giants fans saying that they had bad drafts. 
and just because they didn't get the selection, I mean, it's crazy. And and Philly fans are are a lot of the same way. I think. Wait a second. Did you say that, that you have like, Jets and Giants fans saying that they had bad drafts? Some some Giants and Jets, or I, I know mostly from the Jets side of things because I'm a Jets fan. But some Jets fans are like, why the hell? You know, they're still upset over the Debo thing or like the Amari Cooper thing or not signing an established vet, which is like an understandable thing. But the irrationality and the over the top trolling nature of these fans on the Internet for New York sports and East Coast sports, uh, but specifically New York sports is it's just a little unhinged and I've been a fan and I've been I've I've been in the doldrums with these fans you know and through the gay era through the Derek Fisher era whatever but it's like when good things happen and I know that wins need to be a part of this in the future but we can see improvements and if you if you know what's going on with the draft or with with the games with football especially now i think that that the jets obviously upgraded the giants obviously upgraded Um, i'll I'll say this the first the first game that they lose people are going to be completely freaking out yeah, and well, look, I mean, Sam, there's a, there's, a certain na- there's a certain nature to football, and Sam, thanks for the phone call. Um, I, I got to be honest, I have not seen any negative uh, comments about anyone from the Jet about the Jets draft. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be, you know, Twitter account max ten seven five three two one four. You know, maybe there's trolls out there. I'm sure there are. There's always going to be. A, a, and and betting against the Jets doing something correctly here over the last, you know, 10 years has been a pretty effective strategy, no matter what it is. But I have not seen much of a, of a negative reaction. But I will say this. It does kind of feel like you wonder how some fans sometimes, why they're even watching the sport. Like, do you enjoy the sport at all? And it, that definitely comes back to, to Yankee fans to a certain degree. And I guess it does to, to Met fans, too, but in a different way. Because, like, you see the Mets get off to this start this year. And they're real. I mean, what has been to not like? Outside of maybe the DeGrom stuff, that you don't like. But in terms of the team's play, in terms of the impact of the signings you had in the offseason, everything has been a lot. The manager, everything has gone pretty well. And yet a common refrain is, well, you know, I'm not sure. They're just going to blow it later on. Like, why are you a fan? Like, you're only going to enjoy it when they win, after they win? Like, you don't enjoy the ride anywhere along the line? You're just going to, you know, be negative Nancy or Debbie Downer until that that moment happens so that if it doesn't happen, you get to say, well, look, I was right the whole time. I don't know know why you would be a fan. What's to enjoy? And, again, there's things to criticize. I mean, Yankees and Mets, not so much so far this year because they've been so good, but there'll be things to criticize. And when there are things to criticize, by all means. But it does, I mean, it does seem to be, and maybe it's more so with the baseball because it's every single day. And maybe with the Yankees is because the goal is so clear cut. Like the Yankees, there's no way you can have a successful season without winning the World Series. There's just no way. If they, anybody who's saying, well, you know, the Yankees haven't been to a World Series since 2009. Nobody's going to be happy if the Yankees get to the World Series and lose. Try, it doesn't matter if they lose in Game 7 on the final pitch. That would only make it worse. <laughs> there, there's no way that the Yankees get the benefit of the doubt of getting to the World Series and losing. They have to win the World Series. Just getting there is not going to be acceptable. And I'll, I, even with the Mets, who haven't been to the World Series nearly as often as the Yankees, I don't know that there's a way that the Mets can have a successful, maybe there is a way, but if they even got to the World Series but lost, that, that's not going to be a successful season when you've had – I mean, you're building these expectations along the way. You went out and spent $250 million on free agents this offseason. The goal is to win. You haven't won a World Series since 1986. The goal is not just to get there. It is to win. 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. Let's go out to uh, Paul is in Wayne. Paul, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon. How you doing today? Hey, Paul. What's going on, man? 
Uh, hey, I just wanted to make a point real quick. Um, I'm a New York Rangers fan, so my point is kind of self-serving, but um, I wanted to say that since we're talking about New York sports fans, I want to give some props to New York Ranger fans, who I thought personally were very patient and very um, respectful of the process with regards to the letter and the rebuild. And I thought even though the past few years people were getting impatient, I think by and large the fan base bought into the, that it was going to be a process. And it's a pretty unheard thing for New York fans to be patient. And I thought New York Ranger fans, by and large, were very um, patient and understanding of the process. And I thought the Ranger organization handled it really well by being upfront about we got to do a rebuild, we have to change the dynamics. And I think because they were up front, I think the fans bought into it and understood. I mean, I'm a fan. I knew that they needed to, to, to change directions. Um, but I just want to say I think the New York Ranger fan base did a really good job handling the whole process. Yeah, I mean, look, Paul, and thanks for the phone call. I'm not, you know, focused on the Rangers, as I said, as much as typical fans would be. Uh, but I will say this. I, I don't think it's not, it's not going to ever be flawless. You're never going to get – total patience all the time so when David Quinn was here and there were disappointments fans were starting to get a little uh, upset with that and then when they changed directions there were some questions there as well if this is going to pay off but you have to have some results along the way the patience only lasts for a a short period of time Uh, so it's all well and good to come out with a plan and say this is what we're going to do but if there's no at the end of the day we all want results like I was joking about Yankee derangement syndrome it's all based on wins and losses so all the things that you that that uh, it's amazing, like, with the Yankees. Have you heard any complaints about all the different lineups over the last couple of weeks? Have you heard any complaints about the resting of players over the last couple of weeks? Not really. Not generally. Why is that? Oh, what all of a sudden changed? Did they stop resting players? No. Did they stop uh, making different lineups? I, I know they had one repeat lineup. But I, I don't think that it was. Uh, it hasn't changed all that much. It's still the same strategy that they've had. But all of a sudden, the results changed, and that's where the reactions come from. So the fact that the Rangers have had the success, now it'll be interesting to see if they end up losing this series, maybe then you'll get some, well, wait a second, there was supposed to be. But even then, like, I think it's kind of come along a little quicker than expected. And, and you've seen some results this year of things pointing in the right direction. So I would think that that will buy them some more time. If you see results, you're going to get more patience. That's just the way it works. Unfortunately, with a lot of teams in this town, there's been no results. So you're not going to get that patience. We're half out even said i better get this one right happy mother's day to all the moms out there to my lovely wife maureen and to all the moms everywhere i hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow and really it's a it's a full weekend isn't it it's it's not generally just the sunday because who wants to go get the flowers on the sun you got to get the flowers ahead of time so you get the flowers on the saturday or maybe the friday you make a whole weekend of it and uh, the moms obviously deserve it as well so happy mother's day to all the uh, fantastic moms out there. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. A couple things I wanted to hit on with the, the Yankees and the Mets. One bad for the Yankees, one good for the Mets. The bad for the Yankees, one of the things that really jumps out so far this season, how deep the Yankee pitching is, right? Starters, relievers, they've been fantastic. And the bullpen, year in and year out, the Yankee bullpen is generally a strength. Now, it doesn't mean that it's flawless. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. But so far this year, I think you'd have to say the Yankee bullpen is deeper than it has ever been. I mean, Loisaga, Chad Green, what Clay Holmes has done, Litke's been good, Castro's been good, and then, of course, you have Michael King, who has been sensational. And really, King has been sensational, but Chad, uh, uh, Clay Holmes has not been all that much that, that far off. But King is the one that jumps out because it really – other people have brought this up, and it, it feels right – it feels like when Dylan Batanzas kind of broke on the scene. Between, I mean, his stuff just looks absolutely unhittable, and already people are saying he keeps this up, which is outlandish. He's going to be an all-star this year. And I will just say this. If and when anybody falters in that Yankee rotation, the conversation is going to quickly switch to Michael King should be a starter based on how he's pitched out of the bulls, out of the bullpen so far this year. Like ERA plus is a stat that I bring up all the time. Like it, league average is 100. Anything above 100 is great. Anything below, obviously, is below average. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, it's below average. So 
Nestor Cortez, who's been fantastic so far this year, his ERA plus is, I think, 200. So he's been 100% better than what a league average pitcher has been. Michael King's ERA plus so far this year is 707. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's impossible to keep that up over the course of a whole season. But man, what a weapon he has been. And what I like what Aaron Boone has done so far this year is that he has brought both King and Holmes into the games when the Yankees have been trailing. Like there's a point in the game, okay, we're down, but we got to keep it right here. We can't allow, to fall ourse- uh, allow ourselves to fall any further behind and we need to lock it down so the, and wait for the offense to, to finally pick things up. And that's what King and Holmes have absolutely done so far. The only problem with the Yankee bullpen, and it's not even that they're relying on them too much, because I think this year they've actually, barring injury, it feels like they're deeper than they've been in years past, so I don't think that one or two guys are going to get burned out. The only problem with the entire Yankee bullpen is the guy you, tr- you, you trust the least is the guy that you use in the biggest spots, and that's Chapman. I mean, you've seen him blow up in the biggest spots. You've seen him blow up in playoff games for the Yankees. You've seen him almost blow it for the Cubs of the year where the Cubs won the World Series. I don't trust that guy. And I think that out of all, if you were, if you were putting together a circle of trust of Yankee relievers, Chapman might be the furthest away from the circle of trust, and he's the guy that you're relying on to get you know, the final, because what, if King blows it, there's still an opportunity to come back. If, if, if Holmes blows it, there's still an opportunity to come back. When Chapman blows it, generally the game's over. And we've seen that in the postseason for the Yankees a couple of times. All right, so that's the Yankee point. The Met point is, it's incredible to watch the start that the Mets have gotten off to this year, and they have had some incredible wins. The one thing I would say, though, and this is a good thing, for the Met fan who's worried that, oh, this, it's going to fall apart, it's not going to last, the, t- the, the situation in the National League is such that you, you don't really have to stress about it all that much because take a look at your division, the team you're competing against, the Braves, you're up by seven games on them in May. The Braves are not going to come back from huge deficit every single year. Eventually, at some point, they're not going to. And the other teams in your division... The Marlins and Nationals, you have no confidence in them really competing over the entire season. And even the Phillies, they, I mean, pfft, with the way they are suffering losses so far this year, it feels like there's a better chance that the manager is going to be changed pretty soon than there's going to be some comeback uh, around the corner. And that just feels like they're kind of a flawed team to begin with. So this is what the Mets should be doing. As I said, they were, they were a good team last year that, that fell apart late, had some things go wrong. They went out and spent a ton of money in the offseason. And the playoff in the National League, it's a pretty open road because there's a bunch of teams in the National League that are just not really going to compete for. I mean, between the Reds, obviously, the Nationals, um, the Marlins, I don't think, Pirates, Cubs. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that are not really going to, and you can tell that already this year. And the problem is for all those teams, especially like the Reds, this is the year that they're putting in the, the draft lottery. So even if you're like the worst team, which the Reds clearly have been, there's no guarantees that you're going to get the number one pick. And I don't know that the number one pick even really means all that much in Major League Baseball, but it's not like you know the NFL or, or the NBA where it's, it's got a higher hit rate than, than in Major League Baseball. But I can understand maybe a Met fan being a little leery because of things that have happened in the past, but you're, you're set up pretty well this year. There's no real reason why... This should not be a playoff team uh, and, and a deep playoff team because, again, the teams in the National League, you know the good teams and you know pretty much the bad teams. And the Mets are clearly one of the, the better teams in the National League with some amazing wins already this year. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go back to the phones. We'll go out to uh, Eli is in Washingtonville. Eli, what's going on, my friends? What's going on, Gordon? How's things? You sound depressed. The Yankees are winning all these games. You're very, very down. I understand. Don't worry. I'm sure soon you'll have something to complain about with Aaron Boone. <laughs> Listen, they're not tricking me. That's what it is. Is uh, like you said, they they are built for the off season. I mean, for the, for the regular season, they go on these spurts. You know where they, you know, last year they had an eleven, uh, uh, I think, a uh, eleven game winning streak, and you know look what happened last year. We ended up with ninety wins and. You know, getting bounced off. But listen, Eli, the, let me ask you. Now, let me that, ask you a serious question. I'll let right. you get to your point, but let me ask you a serious question. Do you enjoy baseball? Do you enjoy watching it. the Yankees? <laughs> I do. I love it. I'm a big. Uh, listen, but why? Is, I'm a fan. But why? No, I'm a fan that I, I don't like to be like lied to. Don't okay. tell me that you're you're trying to build this. 
uh, that you go to the world championships, and then you're doing things backwards. Where the New York fan, when the New York fan expects you to do a certain move, and everybody in baseball expects you to do certain moves, and you do the opposite because you think you're the smartest guy in the room, and the end result is not winning. Listen, you can do all, all the analytics you want, but at the end of the day, there's only one number that 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 matters, and that's the wins that yeah, you get. No, I understand, but they have. The I, I think they have the most wins right now. Is what my my point is. Like yeah. in the like, I get it. There's still a chance that it can go wrong later on, but like. There's a chance when you're driving and you're having a nice Sunday drive that there's an accident down the road and you're going to get stuck in traffic. But right now, while the top is down and you're out on the highway and you're doing 65, the winds is in your hair. Do you ever enjoy that aspect of it? Yeah, I do. But you know what I like when I get to my destination and I get to raise the trophy. All right. That's so, that, that's all, so the answer is no. You're not really enjoying it. You just want the trophy. All right. Go ahead. What was your original point, Eli? Please. Well, listen, I... I think there was a caller uh, during the Michael K. show this week that he brought up a point, and of course, you know Michael K. You know, shut him down. That the the, the Yankee fans, I think, are getting to the front office because if if you see what Brian Cashman last year, you know, he was like, "Oh, we have a, a dominant right-handed uh, um, lineup," but uh, you know, uh, a hitter is a hitter; he, they can hit it off the. You know, a home right. run from any part of the plate. And you know what? In the middle of the season, he admitted his mistake and he got two left-handed bats. Now, this season, what is – the Yankees are completely turned around when it comes to the way they 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 approach in the offense. If you notice, it's more hitting. It's more base stealing. It's more not just a long ball. And that's what exactly what the, Yank, the Yankee fans wanted. And but, it's working. Well, it is working, but I mean, in the same in the same breath, they they're also still hitting the most home runs. I think I haven't checked in in the last day, but they had the most home runs in baseball. Um, one of the left-handed bats that they got last year, it wasn't like they went out and 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 got uh, you know Michael Brantley, like a batting average machine at the top of the order. They went out and got Joey Gallo, who is is, is fits oh, the profile Rizzo. of what the analytics team is looking for. But so I don't really think. I, don't think I think. I think it's kind of one of those things. And Eli, thanks for the phone call. I think it's one of those things that the 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 beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like you see what you want to see because the Yankees are playing well. And if you're someone who thinks, well, they have to get to a different type of uh, of batting order and they have to do this thing and that thing differently, and now all of a sudden because they're winning, you're saying, oh, that that's what they're doing. But they're doing all the other things that they want to focus on as well. Like they they haven't changed their approach. They haven't they they didn't go out in the offseason and say you know we got to get more guys who to play to contact. They got the guys back who they had last year, who you were all kind of screaming and yelling about. They still have Joey Gallo. They still have Rizzo. So I think it's one of those things that you you, you kind of see the 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 beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You're interpreting things the way you want to because the results are what you want, and the, what actually is going on behind the scenes is not really what you're seeing. <laughs> All right, so it is the Gordon Dan Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. And I did want to focus uh, this next hour on the NFL because it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on and the draft has come and gone. And, and this was, by all accounts, the most incredible draft that has ever taken place, I think, in any sport. Because it's been trending this way for the last couple of years. But you would have to say this year, the grades are in. And congratulations, everybody won. Everybody, everybody, everybody nailed, well, maybe not the Cowboys, but everybody else. Guys, you did it. You cracked the code. Everybody, every team got the guys that were the highest on their draft board. They didn't think that they were going to be there, but those guys, for whatever reason, just kind of worked out that way. It's incredible. Isn't that incredible that everybody loves? It's almost like a fantasy draft in that you get done with a fantasy draft and there's always some guy who tells you, I really like my team this year. Well, yeah, of course you really like your team. You picked it, dum-dum. You're the guy who made the team. The team might stink. Well, somebody's team's going to stink. And I can tell you right now, and I don't know who it is, but some team's draft this year is going to absolutely stink to high heaven. It's going to be terrible. They're going to have made mistakes that we didn't even know were possible. We know that every single year. And I would just say, I don't know about the Cowboys draft, the guy they took in the first round. But 
I can tell you right now, history has shown us, and this you can go back again and Google these type of things. But each year, some team that, oh, they didn't do all that well. Turns out they did not do just well. They did really, really well. The best example of that was 2012. 2012, there was a specific team that everybody, just about, everybody that I saw, and, and anybody that you, you can research now, go back in history and look, there was an NFL team. Oh, my God, this team. They did just a disastrous job in the draft. Here's one. Um, here's one. I think this is from Bleacher Report. Grade for this team, an F. After one of the worst picks in the first round I can ever remember, Team X didn't draft any positions of need or draft for the future. Coach X is proving why he didn't make it in the NFL the first time. As if it wasn't bad enough, team selecting player doesn't fit their offense at all was by far the worst move of the draft. With the two worst moves of the draft, Team X is the only team that received an F on draft day. The team that received F on draft day was the Seattle Seahawks in 2012 when they just happened to draft uh, Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, and Russell Wilson. <laughs> and you might say, well, that was just one grade. No, no, no. It was, it was everywhere. Jason Cole, Yahoo Sports, gave a D-minus to Seattle. Says Russell Wilson will be lucky to be Seneca Wallace, and the Seahawks are no closer to solving their quarterback situation now than they were before 2011. Pete Prisco of CBS Sports gave Seattle a C plus. Calls Wilson a strange pick. Says Melvin Ingram, who was picked by San Diego at 18, would have been a better pick. Matt Miller, Bleacher Report, gave the Seahawks a D grade. Grabbed Irvin was a grab. Says Seahawks messed up by drafting Wilson. Says those two picks were quote just bad. So every single year, we have no idea what the hell we're talking about. And that proof has been that has been proven year in and year out. But you would have to say that if you had one takeaway from this year's draft, it was the Jets. Oh, my God. They knocked it. Plan the parade route. Plan it now, people. They knocked it out of the park. And here's he, – before we get to the Jets – do you want to win the draft? There is a very simple formula for winning the draft every single year. There's ne- I don't think that there's ever been an example of not winning the draft when you do this. The first way to win the draft is have multiple picks. Have multiple picks in high rounds, you're almost certain. Oh, my God, they, they, they answered it. They answered the needs. They figured it out. They picked guys who were supposed to go there, and now they're going to their team. So have multiple picks. Have multiple picks in the first round. And then if you take guys where they're supposed to go or if you happen to get a guy who was, by everybody who was not working for NFL teams, thought was going to go higher and somehow they lasted to you or you figured out a way to move up and get them, by all, oh, my God, that's, that's the truest sign of success. So every year a team that has high draft grades did a great job. But this year it really stood out. I did not see a single negative draft grade for the Jets. Maybe they are out there. There has to be out there somewhere, right? I mean, somebody's going to go against the grain. But by all accounts, the Jets had an A-plus draft, and this would be the three drafts that Joe Douglas has had. He's gotten high grades each time to, uh, immediately following the draft. That's even true a couple of years ago when they took Becton in the first round and uh, Denzel Mims in the second round. The only problem with all of this, and and, and, and look, one of these two things is going to be true, and you can make money one way or the other. The problem with all of this, if this is true, if the Jets had this foundational draft where they have now got foundational pieces that are going to be part of the turning the culture around of this team, which I would say it does seem like they got great players for where, and they had three first-round picks when it was all said and done. The problem is, is the Jets over-under is still at five and a half. So if you're telling me that it's year two of the coach, it's year two of the quarterback, the GM is, is well ensconced, all of these things are his picks, he's had a second great draft according to all metrics and measures, there's no way that the Jets are only winning five and a half games. There are only two teams in the entire NFL that have a lower over-under number. I think it's the Falcons and the Texans. So if you truly believe, and it seems like everyone does, that the Jets had this great draft and all these things are now lined up. The offensive line is better. 
And I'm not even saying the Jets have to be good. You can be bad and win six games. You can be bad and win seven games. You don't have to be great. You should be winning more than six games a year. The fact that the Jets have won six games the last two years combined, that's more glaring than simply going out and having a mediocre year for the first time in a while. But if it's true that they had this unbelievable draft, they found these unbelievable pieces, and now the coach who you trust, the GM who you trust, the, the, the quarterback who you're hoping to trust, if all these things are true, there's no reason people are not absolutely hammering the Jets over five and a half. There's, there's just no way. They have to be able to win more than that. And I'll say this. I've seen a lot of, well, now it's on the quarterback. I would, it's always going to come down to the quarterback because of how important the position is. I would say if the Jets are not winning more than five and a half games, six games this year, it's not just the quarterback. It's really going to be the GM. You'd have to say, you've been here for a while now. You've had multiple drafts. You've had multiple high picks. At some point, you have to turn this into actual results. And if it is the fact that the quarterback it doesn't take that step forward to this monumental leap now that he's of all these other pieces around him, yeah, part of that's on the quarterback, but it also has to be on the guy who picked the quarterback at number two in the draft, doesn't it? Doesn't it have to be on Joe Douglas? So, yeah, I, it's always going to come down to the quarterback in, in the NFL because of how important the position is and where Wilson was drafted. But I think it's deeper than that. Like, if he is not good and the Jets aren't significantly better, I think at some point people got to be saying, wait a second, we all love Joe Douglas. Everybody's saying what a great job he is, but if they're only winning five games this year, there's a problem, and there's a problem with the GM. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go back to the phones. We'll go out to uh, AJ is in Somerset. AJ, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, how you doing, Gordon? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, man. I have a quick question. Uh, the NFC East is a weak division, so I was wanted to know your thoughts on having Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal make a huge impact and maybe pushing them over the hump and being a contender this year instead of a pretender. Your thoughts? Thanks. Uh, for the Giants, I think the Giants are going to have a tough season. Yes, I think their over-under number is seven. Uh, I like what the, G- the Giants did at the draft. I mean, I think they got two impact players, but the problem with the Giants is is that they're still – I think they're still in the process of, like, tearing down. Like, it, I don't mean the, the, the guys they got in the draft. Obviously, there are pieces that you're hoping are going to be pieces long-term, but – you know, they, they were put in such a position that they're a bad team, they're a bad roster, they have a first-year head coach, and I would just simply say you have to almost extend all the things that we extended to the Jets last year, you have to extend to the Giants this year, where you're going into the season saying there are no expectations in terms of wins and losses. Uh, I, I just want to see maybe some improvement. Now, unfortunately for the quarterback, that's not going to be the case. Like, no, there are going to be expectations for Daniel Jones uh, based on the fact that this is his, his, his likely last season with the Giants under contract. Uh, and then you're going to have to make a decision on the quarterback long term. But I think that you have to kind of extend to Joe Shane and um, and to um, Dayball the, the same things that you kind of gave to the Jets last year. Uh, in terms of no expectations, in terms of wins and losses. And I think that this year is more about tearing down the, the previous stuff and working their way out of cap hell than it is about building things up right away. And I don't have any real expectation. I don't think the Giants compete in the NFC East, and I don't even think the NFC East is all that good. Uh, but I don't think that they compete this year. Moving forward, hopefully. And I hope that Thibodeau and Neal turn out to be real pieces. It seems like everybody, I mean, everybody, oh, my God, they're all great. Everybody's great. Everybody is great. Oh, my God, this is it's a monumental draft. No wrong picks. It's unbelievable. Artie is in Brooklyn. Artie, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. What's going on? So, um, you know, it, 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 a quick remark on the, uh, on the Jets with the five and a half. This Wilson is still regarded at the bottom five as a quarterback, and rightfully so. And until he proves that, that he's not, I mean, you could still have great picks in putting them together. If the quarterback is bottom three, I mean, the team's not going to win more than six games. It's just that's the way football is, you know? And then as far as the uh, the Mets are concerned, look, I'm not – you've got to be nuts not to like, not, uh, not to like what they're doing. But I'm still not a believer because I still think with Cohen's money, they had a chance to improve the hitting, improve the bullpen. They improved, obviously, the starting pitching, and they have, like, the top three starting pitching. But let's, let's face it. They're hitting right now. If you believe that McNeil and stuff like that is going to carry this, they had a 
chance to get top hitters, and they didn't get them for whatever reason. But it all comes down to the moves that you're going to make in midseason. The Braves proved that last year. Okay, the Dodgers are always going to be the top dog right now. Okay, and and I don't look. Can the Mets make the playoffs? Yeah, but if you're Doesn't as a matter. Mets fan saying we're going to go to the World Series, that's just a ridiculous statement to make. Okay, they're just as good as the if the Phillies go get a, a closer. All of a sudden, the Phillies are better than the Mets. No, that's not no. Are Mets are Mets are a much yeah. better put together team. Mets have far fewer right. flaws. I'm not saying the Mets don't have any flaws, but the 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 the, the, the Phillies. I mean, they can't catch the ball, and they can't. It's not just their closer. They don't have reliable guys out of the bullpen at all. I mean, okay. I mean, all right. I, I'm not going to go that far and just go, compare just the Mets and the Phillies. I'm just saying that that Chris Bryant was out there. We didn't get him. Two years ago, last year, Springer real Muda was out there. We didn't get him. We, I mean, yeah, we I got mean, the kid. Get they spent $250 million in the offseason. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend in one offseason. I don't, look, I think it's ridiculous to think that anybody has to get to the World Series, you know, like at this point of the season. So, yeah, I would throw the, you know, I'd throw the Mets in there as well about, oh, you have to make the World Series. But they should absolutely be a playoff team and a team that you would expect is going to win at least a playoff series or two. You said they they they, they spent two hundred and fifty million dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. They got Scherzer, yeah, and they got Marte. Who right. else did they get? They got the other. They got the the the, the what's his name? Um, uh, oh, Who? God, I'm, bl- I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, uh, the 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 other guy. The guy. The guy in the lineup. And war. Uh, oh gosh, I can't think of it right Who's now. Who's the guy in the lineup? They got no other hitters. No, they, they got they... Lindor and Alonso. No, they, they got. Uh, what is Ed, uh, what's the guy's name? Eduardo, what's his name? What's it? Brian, give it to me. I- I'll get it. I'll find it. They, they, the I mean, dirt, the dirt basement from Cleveland? Yeah. What's his name? What did they give the dude? I, I don't remember. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll run I'll run down all the numbers. Is, is he that? Am I, am I underestimating? Is that good? This dude? Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's a legitimate a, player. Escobar. Escobar. Eduardo Escobar. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. They got Canna. They signed Canna. Canna's been good. They spent $20 million on Escobar, $26 million on Canna. They signed Scherzer to $130 million. They signed Marte to $78 million. I'm talking per year. Well, no, they didn't spend $250 million a season, but they spent $250 million. Oh, okay. I, I, all right. Listen. To me, the <laughs> I mean, they can spend $250 million a season. They're not adding five guys at $50 million a season. No, I got you. I, I understand that. But and they I spent a lot of money the season before that. Scherzer. Huh? Yes. I they know spent $130 million on Scherzer. They spent almost $80 million on Marte. They spent twenty-six and a half on Kana. They spent $20 million on Escobar. That's roughly two hundred and fifty million dollars by my math. And, and, and to me, out of all that, they got a top dog in a pitcher, and they got the manager. The other guys are just good players. To okay, me, but yeah, I mean, but look, I mean, you're not going to just add superstar players at every single turn. I mean, sometimes I it's position. about not Could having a weakness and just having a capable player at a position. Like, Escobar is a capable player, a guy who is, has won games for you so far this year. Canna's had big hits. All the guys that they've added so far this year have, have had their moments already. Like, it's not like you're still waiting for them at any point. Okay, but, but with that, does it make them better than the Braves and the Dodgers and the Padres? Well, look, I don't know that they're better than the Dodgers, but, I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, I think that they kind of should be on the same footing as the Braves. That's my question. Are they yeah, better than I mean, the Braves? Well, well, we'll find out if they're better than the Braves. We'll find out. I mean, yeah. I think that they're 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 kind of on equal footing, and I think the Braves maybe took a little step back this year. You know, I, I like um, the kid that they added from Oakland. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now too, but losing yeah. but losing right. Freeman, that, I think that might have kind of hurt. There's not really much they could do. They offered him as much as they could, and they didn't sign him. He he obviously wanted to go to L.A. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, the Dodgers and Artie, thanks for the phone call. I always like Artie. He's very feisty. Um, the Dodgers, I think clearly are still the team that everybody is, is eyeing and everybody is, is looking to take down, but it feels like the, the Dodgers have been that team here the last kind of five years. And it has not exactly, you know, they haven't won multiple championships just yet.
So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, still, there's still a lot of baseball to be played, but I think that the Mets absolutely should be looking to – you do not spend all the money that they've spent here the last couple of off-seasons since Cohn has come on board – and then think that well, you know, we can't we can't compete for a division title. I mean, yes, you absolutely should be competing for a division title this year. Absolutely, it's not. Mets can't just get into the the the, the playoffs this year and be like, oh, that was a good year. No, they they should be uh, they should be looking to win the division. They should be looking to win a playoff series. And if things go right, like if everybody's telling me, oh, this year feels different, you're not telling me this year feels different just because you've had a couple of wins and you're hoping to win a wild card game. No. In, in whether you admit it or not, you're saying this year feels different because you think that this is going to lead to something down the road where you're competing at least for the Final Four, the, the World Series for a championship. I think that that's what you're getting at. All right, Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. I see that uh, Chris Carlin, our buddy Chris Carlin, uh, tweeted out a little while ago, like the listing of the greatest shows of all time, and he did that so that he could say that Ozark is the worst show that he's ever seen. He has, like, the top 10, and then he has, you know, 2,174, 2,175, and then 2,176 is Ozark. Now, I've not seen the last portion of the last season from Ozark, but I have been on the Ozark is immensely overrated show. for. I've been on that train for a... I think I'm driving that train. I think I created that train. So Probably I have not Probably since seen, the 5, 5 a.m. show. I that, right. <laughs> I was doing 5 in the morning when I was telling you that Ozark was not a good show. So I have not seen it yet, but I've seen a lot of negativity... And it, that negativity makes me feel good. Which is that, funny because I know there was like a couple hosts on the station that loved Ozark. They were like, Rick DiPietro. I thought he was a producer on the show. He loved that show so much. It was, <laughs> he was very, very positive about that show. So, and there's a lot of good TV right now. I still like, haven't watched it. Like, it just it didn't appeal to me in the beginning. I was like, eh. Just... It, does, it does a lot of splashy things good, but a, a, the, the downfall of it is that they don't create characters that you really care about. So, like, while the That's characters are going through all this trauma, I don't really care. I'm just looking to see what the next big piece is. It's just all plot and no character. So, uh, that was the, the problem for me. But I did watch the first half of the last season, but I have not seen the last, because there's just so much good TV right now. Better Call Saul is back. That's sensational. I love Barry on HBO. That's fantastic with uh, Bill, Bill Hader. He's great in that show. There, for anyone who likes the, um, the Wire, there's a show right now on HBO called We Own This City. And I think it's based on a true story of, of Baltimore, which obviously was the location of, of The Wire. And it's run by David Simon, who... Uh, I think was the producer or the showrunner of The Wire. Very similar feel, a lot of the same actors. So if you like The Wire, check out We Own This City on HBO. Really, uh, really good show there. And, and has a very similar vibe. It's almost like Better Call Saul is to Breaking Bad. It's not, a, it's not, the story's not tied together, but a lot of the same kind of feel. So you might like that as well. But I have not seen Ozark as of yet. But now it's much like when people were telling me how bad Apple TV was with the baseball. That's a far better strategy to get me to watch it than it would be to say, oh, this is amazing. This is the best. This is the greatest. Tell me how terrible it is. And then just out of morbid curiosity, I might very well check it out. Might very well check it out. All right, let's get back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go out to uh, Chris's and Beth Page. Chris, what's going on, pal? Hey, Gordon. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> I want to talk about the NFL draft, but you're bringing up TV shows. I want to ask you something. Have you seen Winning Time yet on HBO? I have seen Winning Time. I love oh Winning God. Time. The only oh. problem with Winning Time is that they clearly, and I don't really know why they did this, they changed people who are clearly real people in real life and made them like Paul Westhead, they make him out yeah. to be a complete idiot. Was was Paul Westhead a complete idiot in life? I, I don't think so. I mean, no, he wasn't. Right. So I don't know why. They, and then obviously the Jerry West stuff they did. It, it's oh my it's God. completely opposite of what. But the show itself, it's such like nostalgia that you you know it's such an attractive piece of material that I love watching it on Sunday nights. But there is a part of me that like when I see things. And I don't necessarily remember, hey, did this happen or did this not happen? That I'm questioning, well, this probably didn't actually happen. This is completely not true. So that's the yeah. only problem. No. Like the thing with the bicycle accident with the coach, like I don't well, remember that happening. I was only like 10 years old at the time. 
But I actually no, had to go happened. back and look to see, did that actually happen? That doesn't seem like it really happened, but it did. Yeah. He he was the assistant with Portland under uh, yeah. Jack Ramsey. I'm a little older than you, I guess. Gotcha. But I remember all this. And, and I remember when he fell on that bicycle. Oh, my and then God. They the went, way they depicted it on the series. Woof, oh, that was rough. <laughs> that was a brutal. rough watch. I know. I know. It was brutal. But, yeah, and you know, just it's funny. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because you were just talking about TV shows. Yeah, and, that's another great uh, show. I love watching it. Yeah, no, I do too. But to me, to be honest with you, I watch it because to me it's a seven-car pileup wreck. I I think their characterizations, like of Larry oh. Bird, Larry yeah. Bird looks like you know he's the total hinch hick from French Lick. He's and you know what bothered me? I'll tell you more than anything because I'm an old timer. The way they portrayed Red Arback, really, that was just horrendous. The way they treated uh, treated Red Arback, like he was this. You know, Red Allback is a god, a basketball god, and they just treated him like he was this, like, I'm better than you type of guy to uh, Jerry Buss's character. But anyhow, what? Yeah. But see, at least that one, I can understand why you would depict it that way, even though it's not necessarily true, because it kind of moves the story along and it gives you a villain and all those type of things. What do they gain by making Jerry West seem like the maniac that they portray him as? Like, I don't understand what how that serves the story better. I know, and he's on the NBA logo of all things. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. But, but anyhow, I'll just be quick about the draft. Uh, you're right about what you say with the NFL draft. Like nobody ever knows this. Now I'm a big nope. Giants fan, so mm-hmm. I've the, the way I look at the Giants uh, is from 1979, pretty much to 2006, from George Young, Ryan Antonio Causey. I used to the drafts were great. Like I used to love seeing how these guys. We we had like seriously, we had about you know. 25, 26 good, pretty good drafts in a row. Then Jerry Reese had a great draft in 2007, and he lived off of that forever, and they kept him around. But let me tell you something. The last probably 13 or 14 drafts the Giants had between Jerry Reese and Gettleman have been absolutely abysmal and atrocious. I mean, I can go down the line. Eric Flowers, Prince of Mukamori, Eli Apple, guys they all reached for. And those are Jerry Reese people. You know, we don't even have to get into what Gettleman did, and obviously yeah. we know. But uh, I'm just saying, Jerry Reese doesn't get near the flack that he should, I think, about the way he left that team. You know, they had a group of second-round picks that he took. I looked it up. Some of them never even made it onto the field of second-round yeah, picks, that's and that's where you make your team. But, you know, basically, that's I, I always, as much as people love dumping on Gettleman with good reason, uh, Jerry Reese has to take a huge uh, hit for this because – the Giants have pretty much been one of the worst three or four teams in the league for the last 10 or 11 years. And I just want to know what you thought of that, what your thoughts of Jerry Reese are. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and Chris, thanks for the phone call. He's going to get a pass because they won championships while he was there, right? So, I mean, at least he did that much. Uh, and I think it kind of helps Jerry Reese that while he was not good, his replacement was that much worse. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we will be living uh, in the, the next millennia, and uh, people will still be talking about just how bad uh, of a job that uh, Dave Gettleman did. Uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, Don LaGreca brought something up on the K-Show the other day, and I heard it. And he said that Gettleman left the Giants in worse shape than than Mike McCagnan did. I don't I look, it's debatable, but I don't know that that's the case. Like Gettleman did not do a good job and he left them in cap hell so that this year clearly they are completely hamstrung in terms of building the roster, so it's almost like you have to wait a year to to truly see the results. But McCagnan, he was we've had a run, boy. And McCagnan, he followed up Idzik. So, I mean, you want to play two-on-two, like you could bring up Jerry Reese and Dave Gettleman, but if you go the other side of town and, and you go Idzik and McCagnan, that's, that's a death match, man. That's, that's one that can go back and forth. I think that I think McCagnan actually left the gym. As bad of a job as Gettleman did, I think that he actually left the Giants with more talent than McCagnan left the Jets with. Now that's faint praise. I, I will grant you. Neither, none of those four are going in the Ring of Honor. But yeah, I, I don't know that that Gettleman did a worse job in terms of le- what he left than McCagnan did. And McCagnan was another guy. Like th- early on, people were like, "Oh wow, what a draft! Oh, what a move! What are this? What are that?" I trust. I, I really think he's good. And then all of a sudden, it was like overnight. People were like, "Wait a second, th- th- this roster stinks." And and the Jets and Joe Douglas have been 
digging themselves. Like when you get to be as, as talent laden as the Jets were when the time that McCagnan left, it takes you a while to build that back up. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, let's go out to uh, Evan is in Farmingdale. Evan, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon, how you doing? I'm good, Evan. What you got? So uh, what I want to talk about is with the Grom and the Mets. So obviously the last couple, uh, I mean, more or less last year, the Grom has been a little bit like unreliable health-wise uh, and then obviously carries into this year. Uh, with Taiwan Walker kind of looking like how he did at the unreliable guy, completely different than how he looked up into the All-Star break last year, how long do you think the Mets wait to maybe add another back-of-the-rotation guy just in case when DeGrom comes back, it's another setback, it's more time off, whatever it may be? Or do you think they just roll with it and hope that Walker can find his form? and become a reliable back-of-the-end, back-of-the-rotation guy. Well, I, Evan, and thanks for the phone call. You're breaking up a little bit there. Um, I, I don't even know that it's necessarily about Walker as it is just kind of the, the calendar, right? Like, you usually don't see these any kind of a significant moves until you get deeper into the season, into June, into July. But I think that Steve Cohen and his approach from the Cano stuff, from the offseason stuff, they're, they're going for it, man. I, I don't think that they're going to – if 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 – if there are problems in that rotation of the back end, be it Walker, be it whoever, um, I don't think that they're going to sit by and, and kind of wait for things to develop. I think that they're going to be the ones that make the moves. And with the amount of teams that are bad in baseball this year, there should be no shortage of moves. And, and maybe that happens. I know, I think it was Joel Sherman who had a column in the post today or yesterday about how maybe those deals should come earlier because there's clearly some teams that are not trying at all. So maybe trades will happen earlier, but I don't think that the Mets are going to be uh, waiting things out. I think that they're going to be the aggressors rather than taking it from a a conservative approach. You're listening to the Gordon Damer show podcast on 98.7 ESPN.